In this episode, we're going to be talking about shrooms and other drugs. Shrooms, shrooms, shrooms. Shrooms have been decriminalized. What do you need to know? Drugs and drugs shrooms, 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 drugs and drugs and much more. This is Molly Jansen, and this is The Legal Bender. Welcome back to The Legal Bender with Molly Jansen, and today we are going to talk about drugs. Driving on drugs, dealing drugs, trafficking drugs, where you can do drugs, what kind of drugs, all that good stuff, because there's been tons of changes in the law in Colorado regarding some of these topics, and so uh, we're going to get after that. We actually have um, some questions that came in in fan mail. Who knew? Yeah, so if you uh, if you have some questions that you want to ask, by all means, call the law firm for a free consultation. We're at 303-720-4616. Uh, you can also visit the website at mollyjansenlaw.com. We have tons and tons of information about all of the areas of practice uh, that we cover and uh, all that good stuff. So we're going to hit it up. My associate, Christopher Hauser, or what we, I call him Hauser. He really loves it. I called him that for 20 years. And, uh, but he is my attorney on staff. He's my senior attorney. And he is really the guy when it comes to marijuana specifically. And uh, between the two of us, we have, I don't even know how many years of experience and uh, tons and tons of jury trials and, uh, you know, all that. So we're going to talk about drugs and give you guys some information See if that's you out there who needs to call. So, well, hey, uh, this year has been a beehive of activity when it comes to drugs, and there's lots of new things out on the horizon. Um, one of the things that I just saw recently, Molly, that I find absolutely fascinating is the city of Denver became the first place in the country, or for that matter, probably in the world, who has basically decriminalized mushrooms, psychedelics. Yeah, I'm not really jazzed on that, but you continue. I think it's a little, well, hey, we uh, are the grandfather of marijuana legalization. We kind of push this. So at least from people on the progressive side of the drug legalization debate, I think people are celebrating this. I'm curious to see what you think about that. Well, what bothers you? I have tons of problems, right? Okay, so as many of you know who don't know, I've run my practice for about almost 17 years. And uh, for a very long time, I uh, focused early in my career, well, not on just criminal, I did everything actually. Uh, But don't call me about those issues, I don't don't do that anymore. But um, a huge practice in DUI. And I went and got certified in DUI investigation and standardized field sobriety tests, which we call roadsides. I have been to, I don't know how many seminars. Um, I've been trained at Harvard on DUI investigation and roadsides. And so I've had a very large practice uh, for a long time on DUIs. And I have seen how things have changed over the years. One, with changing the alcohol content from a 0.1 to a 0.08. But then also now introducing marijuana when that became a constitutional um, hall pass is what I'm going to call it. And the increase in all of the uh, DUIDs, if we call them, driving under the influence of marijuana cases and how dangerous that has been for our community, quite frankly. And now we've got shrooms out there. And if any of you are familiar with the old shroom, it makes you trip, if you will, or hallucinate. So the 
the problem that I am worried about, um, and don't send me hate mail, like drugs are drugs and we all got our personal opinions, but coming from a legal perspective, I'm really concerned that when you have people who are out tripping shrooms, whether at home or at the club or at the park, whatever y'all are doing, that somebody is going to get in a car and they're going to drive. So we can all assume, you don't have to be a rocket scientist here to recognize that if somebody is driving on our streets, hallucinating, we're going to see an increase, a huge increase in my uh, in my prediction of not only driving under the influence, but more importantly, vehicular homicide and vehicular assault. And those two particular charges, even without a criminal history, land you in a mandatory prison sentence. And thank you. That's a call coming in. Woohoo! And so um, that is really my main concern is how do we keep all of you who decide now that you can trip off the road because we've had a real big challenge with people who say, well, I have a constitutional right to smoke pot, therefore I can drive high. Well, you can't do that no more than you can drink and drive drunk. And so that's where my concern comes from. Well, I think there's going to be a, a number of issues associated with this measure that in my mind are just going to cause a lot of confusion for the public at whole. So let's be very clear about that. This measure is only good in the city and county of Denver. And all it did was decriminalize possession of mushrooms. It said nothing more than that. And all that really means is that if you're in the city and county of Denver and you were caught with psychedelic mushrooms, how the, how the hell the cops are going to tell uh what that is well are they trained i mean look we know that they do a ride which is advanced roadside um investigation and, and looking at that and then we also have to have drug recognition experts or what we call a dre for a marijuana case not just for marijuana that's actually for all drugs but now what happens when we got a guy out there who's only trained in alcohol and this guy's all over the place and he's like swap you know s- sort of swatting away flies that aren't there and you know i think problematic yeah i think this law is going to be very problematic for a number of reasons one is as i said a, a person may be in possession of them it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to skirt contact with law enforcement i do because i spent many many years on the other side both as a prosecutor and a better part of a decade devoting my life to training cops about all sorts of issues that just cops being able to identify mushrooms in and of themselves is going to be problematic. But in addition to that, I think it's going to be really challenging for a city, just a city alone to oversee this process. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who believe that this is, in effect, a legalization of shrooms. It's not, but I can virtually guarantee that... That's how it's going to be perceived. That's how it's going to be perceived, and I think it, now the onus is going to fall on the city and county of Denver to not only enforce it, but then they're going to get all the collateral issues of having to find safe places, and what about safe products, and oh, the legal oh issues that gosh. can spin off of this. And how many 72-hour holds are we going to have? So you have people who are contacted, and I don't care if it's for disorderly conduct, um, drunk or in public intoxication, driving under the influence, and you have somebody who is who is hallucinating because they've ingested, um, you know, shrooms, they are not sane. So now you have an issue of what do you do with them if they're acting out and they don't understand advisals and they can't have a conversation with you because they think your face is melting. And so now we're going to have to have people on 72-hour holds, which is going to increase our costs as a city 
already at Denver Health of keeping these people in a safe place because what if they what if they're in the middle of peaking under that right when we we talk about that I think this is such a reckless measure and if this is the direction Denver wants to go then they needed to put safeguards in place and I just don't see them and I'm very concerned about how that's going to look and feel in our community I think in this state uh, I have found that there are Several states like Colorado and others that allow citizen initiatives whereby just any Joe on the street can propose a law as long as they gather enough signatures, it goes on the ballot. And a lot of people think this is the utmost of grassroots democracy. But then you get some of these measures out here that I don't think are very well thought through. And this one is definitely one for me. I think that as you've spoken to the public health, public safety issues, And even from a consumer, if you are a mushrooms consumer, how on earth do you ever verify the the quality, the safety of the product that you are using? And with those who provide this particular substance, isn't this going to become a magnet for it? And plus, you're not allowed to distribute it. So that's still that's still illegal to possess and distribute. And. But let me ask you this. So don't you think when we created or when when the measure passed that you could smoke marijuana and now it's this constitutional right, but yet the legislature hasn't passed a driving under the influence of marijuana or a driving under the influence of drugs, because I'm not sure they sit in the same categories. Talk about not thinking it through. We don't even know what the presumptive range is in the statute of what you can drive with on marijuana in your person, whereas we know it, 0.05 DWAI, 0.08 for DUI. But on marijuana, what is it? Well, It's what forensics for the prosecution say? There isn't a good answer. In the state of Colorado, we have a law that was passed in 2013 that says five nanograms of Delta 9 THC gives rise to an inference that you are substantially infers that you're substantially incapable of safely driving a car. So if we're we're talking about mushrooms, but let's talk about marijuana because this is a much more developed idea that we've been on the forefront of, but- for those of you out there who are cannabis consumers, if you get behind the wheel, I love how you say that so formally. Like there, you know, I said to my kids the other day, I just have to totally do a segue. Um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, is that kid smoking dope?" And they looked at me like, "Mom." I'm like, "Well, in the '80s, that's what we called it. Like we didn't refer to dope as like heroin and like all this stuff." And they're like, "Mom, you're so incorrect." And I'm like, "Okay." You're 15. You're an old fogey. You got to strike pot, dope, and weed from your vocabulary. Luckily, my kids don't know the vocab really well, so I'm like, thank God for that. Oh, yeah. And you think my kids get away with something? They do not. Um, But I swear, like, you know, I'm learning. Oh, yeah. But now you can keep talking. Well, I like I said, I think with most people, if, if in the context of drinking, when people go out, they have the wherewithal enough, they they tend to count drinks. Now, in my college years, I really didn't do that. I think I counted pitchers. Uh, uh, that we was a different calculus, together. but I could walk. I, I could walk to places. We had nowhere else to go <laughs> right. but walk the seven blocks. That's like, right. Sweet, it was a small medicine. town. It was a small town. <laughs> but that's so, where I left there. But now you're gonna you have this big challenge on the drug front because even as a cannabis consumer. How much can you lawfully use? I think that people tend to measure in drinks. They'll do the proverbial two drink and make their decisions with that. But here (laughs) it's much more challenging. And at least in terms of the law, if you are arrested in the state of Colorado, what the law says is that you merely by the fact that you were driving on a Colorado road 
are giving your consent to effectively have your blood taken. And yeah, if you don't... Not, well, let's not forget that the statute actually says saliva, urine, or blood. But nobody looks at the saliva, and then the courts look at us like we're crazy, and we wrote in some clause that doesn't exist that says, hey, judge, under express consent, this person's allowed to take a saliva test. Like, oh, no, Miss Jansen, you don't know. I'm like, well, I'm reading the statute from the book on that's on your desk. So, confused. I understand if everybody doesn't like needles, but take blood. Always choose blood. Oh, yeah. Then we can retest it, friends. That's right. So, remember that. If you are ever arrested for a DUI on an alcohol, they will give you a choice between a breath and a blood test. Maybe. Perhaps. Not recently. Always choose blood. Sometimes they're kind of corny. Yeah. Oh, never do a breath test. The only time I tell someone to do a portable breath test in a DUI scenario is to gauge how messed up you are. No, it's like it's information. So, you're like, oh, wow. That's, That's not bad. good. I probably shouldn't take that blood test because this portable breath test is inadmissible. It can't be used against me. It is an interesting little fact. Isn't but I'm it? like, I think you should take that because what if you're a 0.07? Hmm. Would you really refuse a chemical test or take a blood test if you're under the 0.08 for a DUI? Maybe not. Depends on if you're eliminating alcohol or absorbing alcohol. But man, isn't that just great? It's like your own investigation on yourself without getting charged yet. <laughs> oh, and they, and they can't use it, but for probable cost purposes. No, and really only at DMV because they can't use it in court at all. No, they cannot. They're strictly prohibited from that. Oh, and by the way, I've been getting all these consults about this topic. If a cop tells you that if refusing a, a portable breath test, you will lose your license for a year, that's not true. A portable breath test, refusing roadsides or refusing a portable breath test does nothing to your license. It only is if you refuse a chemical test, and that's a potential. There's a hearing that happens. It's not the cop now working for the DMV. I'm just saying that. Just FYI. So what else do we need to know? You have got you came in with some interesting information about up in the club with the marijuana. Yeah, so as long as we're talking about marijuana and DUI, a provision has passed the legislature. It sounds like it was just signed by Governor Polis uh, in the last week or so that is going to pave the way for tasting rooms and what we would otherwise describe as, you know, pot clubs. Go, Governor. So I Do think... you hear my enthusiasm? I think this is going to be uh, a big issue going forward. Um, look... Marijuana proponents for a long time have said, hey, while we've made legal strides, we effectively want cultural equality and we want to be able to go to a place with our friends and utilize our substance of choice. But from a legal standpoint, from a lawyer standpoint, there are a ton of issues to unpack with uh, these potential clubs or tasting rooms, whether they're part and parcel of existing dispensaries. Um, But it makes my mind spin, not only for the things we've talked about DUI side, but le- hey, let's talk All about sides. like Dram Shop, oh, Dram yeah. Shop liability. What you're going to now find is is that these places who are providing consumers with THC now subject themselves to the personal injury lawyers. And yep. that is something marijuana has not seen yet. But it's coming like a freight train. That's my jingle. I always have to sing at least once so y'all get used to it. You can turn me off or you can turn me back on. You don't know. Bum, 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 bum. Bum. Mm. Legal bender. <laughs> so I think that uh, while we might have some people who are pretty excited about that prospect, if I was one of these business owners, I would be sweating a great deal because you think about what happens when you have bartenders, you have wait staff who are trained and over-serving. And that is going to now be a new element to all of this. 
People don't want to get their ass sued off, but you can bet that the first time somebody walks out of one of these places and, hey, they can cause a fender bender or worse yet, as you described, they can kill somebody, the legal stuff is going to blow them away. And the lawyers are going to be changing this industry in a very different way. Well, what's interesting, right, is that whenever something like this happens, I feel like the legislature always turns to the prosecution and they forget to turn to the defense attorneys who can give them more information that's more relevant and helpful in making it a successful statute. Right? I don't disagree with that. You know, because you look at, for instance, when I ran for district attorney in Adams County in the last election, part of my platform was talking about programs that are inefficient. So you, you're sending, for instance... Uh, somebody convicted of driving under the influence of marijuana, which is all held up in the DUI statute, like we said, there's not two different statutes, into alcohol education classes, and then DMV makes them have an interlock. So why is somebody who doesn't drink, who smokes pot, who got busted on an interlock device? And so if somebody down at the legislature actually said, hey, wait a second, why don't we go to the source who knows all the intel, which is what I was proposing to do is, hey, look, if we really want to rehabilitate people and avoid recidivism, why don't we really make those programs work? But the legislature turns their eye to defense because they don't recognize we can tell them, hey, look, your interlock isn't helping people not smoke pot and drive. It's just stupid and it has no nexus whatsoever. However, now you've got put it. You want them in a drug class, send them to a drug class. Oh, it's, st- it's stunning. We have or- we have a client who has a situation just like this where the legislature has absolutely failed to grasp the understanding of this where the entire understanding where this guy he is under 21 he was contacted there was an odor of marijuana so he was subsequently arrested for that he has a distinct fear of needles he refused the test and And no alk and no alk and so he is now suspended but he cannot qualify to have an interlock device on his car because he's under 21 So Mm -hmm. effectively, this kid has to burn a year of his life. He's walking to his pizza job and putting all his life on hold because the law doesn't account or accommodate for marijuana and other substances because we live in an alcohol-based model. Which doesn't work if we're going to let people smoke pot and drive. And so the reality is something has to change. If we want to make this work, then note to legislature, you might want to talk to the people who are in the trenches every day and let us guide you in what's going to be more effective, because otherwise we're going to fight every case tooth to nail. I mean, like we're just going to do it. We're going to take them all the distance and that's fine. But until you guys figure it out and you've got cops doing their jobs as trained officers in marijuana or drugs, we got a heyday. Well, and I think that's the big thing that's happening here is is the police officers how they're trained what they know to go after and there are definitely some good police officers out there but there's a whole spectrum of cops and i think some are overwhelmed by all of this they don't know what to do and then you call a cover cop and you say hey officer you're dre come on out that's fine that's right don't do it then and you know leave it to us to deal with it we'll shake the tree 100 percent so that's, you know, you got, you know, there's this sort of frowning upon defense attorneys, but we're here for the Constitution. We're here for probable cause, uh, whether statements are made voluntarily, whether you're pulled over or contacted by law enforcement for a reason. That's our job. We're not here to gauge whether our clients are innocent or guilty. 
We're here to gauge whether they got charged in a way that's actually prescribed by the Constitution and whether the process is working. And we stand as the one person who can advocate between sort of a checks and balances between our client law enforcement and the district attorney. And those two are on the same side. Right. So that's where we are. But something's got to give. Otherwise, we're just going to keep fighting the fight. Oh, without question. I think which we, I don't think my reputation speaks otherwise. <laughs> so let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Molly. You've done this for a long time, mm-hmm. and you know I think when people get arrested for something like this and they start looking for a lawyer, they don't even know much about the process. That's why they're spending the money. They want to do that, but when it comes to hiring somebody, what are the questions that people should be asking to determine that they're they have the best lawyer possible. So, well, I'll tell you what. In our last podcast, um, we talked a lot about what to look for in an attorney and what you need, what information uh, that you need and what's important and how to gauge that, right? You're looking at experience. You're looking, it can't just be money. That's the one thing I got to tell you guys. And at this law firm, we do not negotiate our fees. We do not negotiate our worth. We here quote our fees because of our experience, and because we are we are valued at what number we give you. So for a lot, you know, here's the deal. You call me up and say X, Y, and Z down the street is going to quote me less. I say, you hire them. I don't negotiate my value and neither, neither of my attorneys will. So that's one thing to look at. Is this attorney trying to lowball someone just to catch the case? Are they interested in your case? Or are they really just interested in what you can pay them, right? So that's one thing. You got to look at whether it's a fixed fee or an hourly rate. Hourly rate, she's going to bend you over the barrel, friends. You're going to pay so much money, and then you're going to start making decisions about your case, whether you should plead or go to trial based on whether you can afford your lawyer. And they're charging you for things like driving to work. So let me ask this one. Why should a lawyer get paid to drive to work when 99% of the community, when they go to their jobs, are not paid to do so? And at $375 to $500 an hour, wow. I mean, my that's astonishing. I'm surprised the Supreme Court lets that happen. But at any rate, so one, you got to look at fee. You've got to look at experience. How many jury trials has this attorney done? Um, I always caution people about reviews because people who like their lawyers don't write good reviews very often. Um, people who are disgruntled usually do. And there's very paragraphs. Few, oh, paragraphs. And most of it is just BS because we as lawyers can't fire back because of confidentiality. So we get we have to be forced to respect their lies and try to defend ourselves in a way that's classy and appropriate and confidential. But believe me, you read a review, for instance, one person said they got sentenced to six years in prison and didn't know what they were doing, but never bothered to tell anyone. That's just a bold-faced lie. I believe the first sentence of that response for me was, this is ludicrous, and I quote. So you want to look at those kinds of things. Some reviews are very helpful. You want to look at websites. What information is there? Is there? Does it look like some actual time has been placed or is it just plagiarized from somewhere else? And so, and then you want to ask the questions like, what kind of training do you have? Are you certified in this stuff? What is your experience with working with the case from the AG's office? What is your experience with working with these particular counties? And do you know these judges? Does it matter that we're best friends with judges and DAs? No, it matters that we have a professional um, and credible reputation in front of those judges and that the DAs and, uh, and we work well together, which should be expected of any attorney. So that's not a selling point. If your lawyer has to say to you, oh, and by the way, I'm great friends with the judge and the DA, you should be. Just throwing it out there, right? But I really r- would recommend that you go back to our very first podcast and really listen to that because I give you great clues about 
um, what you should be looking for and why you should be looking for it. Because when you're in criminal trouble, you find the money you need to pay to get the best. And if you've got a marijuana case, um, Chris Hauser's the best. That's why he works here. Tom Nellison's my other attorney. He's been a defense attorney for 28 years. I've got 270 jury trials under my belt, and that's not an over-exaggeration. We handle everything from DUI all the way to homicide. We do tons of sex assaults. We do tons of trafficking of drugs, solicitation, prostitution, theft, uh, assault to every degree, attempted murder. I mean, everything really in between. Um, So if you're in trouble, give us a call. We give a free consultation. But be careful when you're talking about your future, your criminal history, and whether you're going to jail or prison or not. Not time to get the cheapest guy in town. So there's my two cents. So if you guys need anything, by all means, feel free to email at mollyjansen at jansenlegal.com. Visit my website at mollyjansenlaw.com. I think I, that's, I just changed it. Is that right? Molly um, or call the office at 303-832-5400. We are in touch with you in 24 to 48 hours. We're fairly hands-on. So we are actually going to be right back because we have some uh, mail that came in. And you can also email that to me at mollyjansen at jansenlegal.com. So we're going to hit that up after this quick break. You are listening to a doapodcast.com production. Do you want to do a podcast? Doapodcast.com. We come to your location, set up our equipment, and we make a podcast for you from start to finish. Doapodcast.com. Hey, we're back. (laughs) All right, it's listener mail. Okay. Uh, We've got a couple out here that are are a little intriguing. This is one, eh, not directly on point, but I found it fascinating. My girlfriend watches a lot of Law & Order. Oh, no. I thought it would be a fun, cheapy day date. Can we go and watch court and which ones would be more interesting than others? Ooh, that's a really super good question. So law and order is not like court. So it's not going to be as titillating and exciting as it would be if you're watching law and order because things that happen on TV are not accurate at all. We can certainly talk about some of those. Truth sometimes. is stranger than fiction. No, but it'd be fun. We could like dissect something and like talk about how awful it is. But anyway, um, so I always think it's entertaining to go to a bigger courthouse um, where there's a heavy docket like Adams County or Denver, Denver County when it's just chaos. You got people in there drunk, stoned, going to jail. You you don't even know what you're going to get. You so, get to see a parade of people's mistakes. Yes, and you get to see different kinds of defense attorneys, public defenders, prosecutors, and judges. But it is entertaining. I have to say, um, you know, only a certain person wants to go to court to, like, check things out. Um, I will tell you that although the first thought is probably jury trial, jury trials are boring. They are not exciting. We don't get to bang on the tables and we don't have someone walking in suddenly with evidence like in my cousin Vinny. And, you know, we, we don't get to do that kind of stuff. And so trials can be a little bit ooh, long in the tooth. It ain't the Hollywood version. It is not. And so um, although it may sound exciting unless you're really into law and wish you had gone to law school, check out a jury trial. And you can go to the Colorado Judicial website for the docket search and you can actually plug this information in to find any docket and how many cases are on that docket to check it out. You can also go to denvergov.org. They will also give you a list of how many defendants are on the docket. I always think that uh, going into um, a courtroom, like a preliminary hearing courtroom, is always interesting. 
because you can see all walks of life and people are in custody. And that really gives you a broad uh, section of, of what's going on. So that would be my recommendation. I would add on to that. I would stop in at a felony court. Oh, yeah. Dis- what district. is called district court in Colorado. And as Molly said, sit in a docket. And I have to tell you, you know, <laughs> even though I work this side of things, when, when I hear criminal justice reformers talking about the need to empty the prisons, oh my god! Even though I work the defense side, I have to tell you, like when you spend a day in district court and you see the people who have earned their way to prison, you're like, yeah, that person probably deserves to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I absolutely. But there's there's a fascinating array of just the. The human condition on display for you. Some of it's sad, but at the same time, you can have people who have been very down on their luck, who have made mistakes and who show up for reviews, who show up for sentencing, who have made some tremendous strides. Drunk sometimes. I saw one with a point four three five endeavor. That was her alcohol content. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, and she was like stumbling around and laying on her boyfriend, and it was just so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. So, well, yeah. So at any rate, feel free to always email us questions. Um, We're running out of time today, but we will be back and uh, check us out. Um, Our podcasts are all over the place. And so there you go. Have a safe uh, weekend. This has been a Do A Podcast production. Want to do a podcast? Doapodcast.com.